What's up, Pod Fam? How are you? I hope you're having the best day ever. I have an exciting announcement to share with you specifically uh, as a listener of the Out of the Cave podcast. And that is that we have decided to throw a little birthday party for the Out of the Cave podcast now that we have been in business for a year now. Um, and that birthday party is also going to be a just community call and Q&A for you guys who are listening to this pod. So um, I wanted to put it on your radar. The tickets are not on sale yet. Um, It will be a free event, but the tickets haven't been created yet. Uh, They should be out in a couple days, but I just wanted to drop it on your radar so you can save the date if you want to be there and join us and come hang with me in real time. That is going to be on Saturday, November 5th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. That's 1 p.m. East Coast time. So anyone is free to join us. Uh, We will be celebrating and connecting, and I'll answer any of the questions that you have about any of the podcasts over the last year. Um, It will be a free event, so just stay tuned for tickets, the landing page on the website, and then I will be back to keep reminding you over the next few weeks. Um, So November 5th, Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific. I hope to see you there. I love you. Enjoy this episode. Hi there. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. I'm your host, Lisa Schlossberg, a licensed social worker, certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. If you, like I have, struggle with your relationship with food, eating, and body image, I am here with this podcast to guide you into healing the relationship you have with yourself through a trauma-informed, holistic, and mind-body-soul approach. Together, we can support you in building a lifestyle of more peace, freedom, safety, and power. Hello again, my friend. Welcome back. We today are going to continue the conversation that we started on our last podcast episode about intentional weight loss. Dun, dun, dun. Today, it's a solo episode, just moi, and there is an abundant amount of things to say on this topic. Now that we have cracked open this can of worms, um, there's a lot to share with you. So uh, I do suggest if you have not yet already listened to the last episode, Intentional Weight Loss with Allie, please listen to that first. Uh, and then come back here and follow up with part two. And I will tell you right now, the intention is to have the next episode be a Q&A slash FAQ about intentional weight loss. So I'm collecting your questions on Instagram in my email. Uh, please feel free to send in questions, follow-up, thoughts, feelings, reactions, reflections, always. Lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. So if you have questions after you listen to this episode, hit me up and I will speak to them and answer them to the best of my ability in the next episode. All right. So to kick us off with this conversation, I think it's important to start really at the the root, root, root of it before we can talk about anything in the physical dimension in terms of how do we do it technically, logistically regarding weight loss. um, We, I believe, have to really look at what's going on subconsciously, what's driving the bus in terms of our thoughts, feelings, belief systems around weight loss, because as you know already, (laughs) I'm sure, we can't disconnect that from the process, right? So 
what I want to just kind of shine the light on to begin this conversation is something that I've seen come up a lot, um, you know, on social media and just in our culture. That is, if you're struggling with weight, but also if you're struggling with like kind of any bad habit uh, or substance use or something like that, there's been this belief circulating that especially, and I'll, I'll focus in on uh, weight loss for this or our, our relationship with our bodies. There's this belief that if you are struggling with food and eating um, and you are quote unquote overweight, uh, it's because you don't believe that you are worthy of weight loss. And there's this belief that has again just been circulating that if you're having trouble getting the weight off it's because you don't believe you're lovable and you don't believe you're worthy and you don't believe that you are valuable just as you are as a human and I think in some ways um actually no I don't think in some ways that's true I really don't and this is what I want to just kind of invite you to consider that is I think personally, and again, you don't have to believe this, uh, but the way that I see it is that you, right, let's go back to the idea of the true self and the false self. So your true self, like your highest self that is, you know, divinely connected to the capital T truth. You are love. You, this is, this is your truth. This is the, this is human nature. Um, we, we are love and we are worthy, and we are unconditionally loved and lovable. And I believe that deep down, you know that. You do know that. You may have forgotten that. Um, you may be disconnected from that belief and that knowing. But there is a part of you, and we could also call this your intuition, uh, there is a part of you that knows that you are unconditionally loved and lovable. So what I think is that through the years of you traveling through your life and receiving the messages that you are unworthy and unlovable, you've come to believe that and not even believe it like on a deep down, it's your own belief, right? You internalize that and you took it in, but not because you believe it to be true, just because it was a message that was reinforced over and over again, and then you internalize it. So it's actually, in my opinion and belief system, it's not that you believe you are unworthy or unlovable. You don't believe that. <laughs> You've just kind of got stuck in this habit of thinking that and it may still be getting in your way, but I think it's really important to clarify this just so we can um, create some distance and some space from that belief system that is we think we're unworthy and we think we're undeserving. Um, we think it because it's a thought pattern at this point. Um, but I don't think that you, the real you inside, actually believes that to be true. What I believe is that you know the truth, that you are loved and you are loved and unconditionally lovable. That's what I believe. So the reason that this matters <laughs> is because if we, again, fall into believing what other people tell us we believe, <laughs> we might see that the reason we're struggling with weight loss is because we think we're undeserving and we think we're unworthy. Um, but I, I want to offer us a very different perspective. 
in this episode. And ultimately, that is that the true self, the true knowing in you, right? We talked about this a little bit in the intuitive eating episode. It's like the intuitive eating movement is still not really talking about your intuition. It's talking about your mind and your body, but it's really not bringing in like your soul and your spirit and all of that, which is part of the process necessarily, if you ask me. So on that level, you know that you are loved and you are lovable. And I will say it over and over and over again, because it's important that you hear it over and over and over again. Um, And so what happened along the way, right, is that we heard this message intentionally and not intentionally from our parents, from our society, from our friends, from our teachers, from our every doctors, right, especially around weight. We took in uh, this experience that we made meaning of whether we were young kids or teenagers or adults, we made meaning of certain experiences that made us feel like we were inadequate or unworthy or unlovable. But that has become almost like a cloud that hangs over us and uh, gets in the way of us seeing straight, which is seeing the truth and being connected to the truth. So here's why this matters. If you've taken in this... uh, message let's say we internalize the message right because we were raised by diet culture if we internalized the message that we have to look a certain size or look a certain way or be a certain size in order to receive love and be worthy of love belonging and connection um, that becomes habitual it's a habitual thought pattern that's what I'm calling it Um, and because anything that is familiar uh, and reinforced to our brain becomes where we feel safe, it can feel really hard to deviate from that. And so it's not that you actually believe you're unworthy and unlovable. It's that you may actually be so familiar with repeating that thought pattern that believing you are or treating yourself as though you are deserving, worthy, and lovable feels unfamiliar. And if it feels unfamiliar, then it feels unsafe because it might be threatening and it might be a predator. Your brain doesn't know the difference between any of this, right? So I think very often we start behaving and treating ourselves as though we believe that we are unworthy and unlovable, Um, but not because we actually believe it, but because we have just made that the pattern in our brain, and that's the way our brain learned to think and to function. And so why, again, this matters is because, well... If you want to start treating yourself as though you are worthy of anything that you want, whether it's weight loss or anything else, if you actually have to embody that belief, well, it might challenge the the thoughts that you've had basically your entire life. And not again, because those beliefs have been yours, but because you internalize them and kind of laid that groundwork for yourself. <clears throat> so from this point on, Here's your big fat invitation to see your limiting beliefs. I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, etc. Not as your own beliefs, but as like a tape that's just playing in the background that someone gave you and has been playing since you arrived here on earth. <laughs> and that's not your fault. And honestly, there's very little that you could have done about it, right? Because you grew up in this culture and you were socialized into it. But really an invitation from this point on when those limiting beliefs come up and you start judging yourself and critiquing yourself and operating in the world as though you are not lovable and worthy exactly as you are, you can just see that as like the old tape playing. 
someone gave it to you, you press play a long time ago, and it's still hanging out there. But it's not, my love. It is not your own. And it's not your truth. Okay, having said all of that, here's the next thing I want to share with you. That if we're moving from this place of actually believing that we have worth, value, power, etc., from a place that is completely unrelated to what we look like and unrelated to our bodies, because that is the truth. Now I want to introduce another kind of idea. And this is Marianne Williamson's famous poem about our deepest fear. And I'm going to read you the whole thing because I think it's important. Let this one sink in. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So maybe you can see where I'm going with all of this. But the reason I think this is an important place to start is because, again, it's just challenging the belief system that so many of us, I think, walk around with unknowingly, that we believe that what we're afraid of is our darkness. What we, what we are afraid of is that we are insecure and inadequate. But I don't think that's really true. I think that's the story that we've been told. I think what's really true is that we're really afraid of our light and our power and our potential and our opportunity to actually embody what we're here to embody. We're scared of our authenticity. We're scared of being who we are. And we've talked about that already on this podcast, right? We would feel safer given the social context that we live in and the brain that we were given. Maybe we feel safer just choosing attachment in Gabor Mate's framework and doing you know, what other people tell us to do and being who other people tell us to be and having the beliefs that other people give us. But the truth, I think, at the root, root, root of all of this is that a lot of us are scared to be powerful. And that's where I think this conversation needs to go. And I have to tell you, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine recently. She, she was talking about how, uh, you know, we get to be the leader of our own life. And it was, it was inspiring to listen to this. And... <laughs> I said to her, I have to be honest with you. When I hear you say that, you know what my reaction is? Fear. I'm not super excited off the bat. <laughs> There's That exists too. But when I think about being the leader of my own life, whoa, that's scary. She was like, fear, why? I said, well, because then I'm the leader, <laughs> right? I have to believe what I believe. I have to stand for what is true for me. And that might upset some people and that might hurt some people and that might not be liked by some people. 
Also, how do I know that I'm doing the right thing? How do I know that I'm doing it correctly, right? All this fear comes up about having power and being the leader of my own life. But the reason I think it's important to have this conversation with you, listener, is because if what we're talking about is your health, your body, your weight, you have to know that you have power. You don't have total control. You don't have total control. And that's also important. We'll talk more about that, striking that balance. You don't have total control over your body. You don't have total control over your you know, metabolism, your genetics. There are certain things you have no control over. And you have a lot of power in the way that you are living your life, especially around food and eating and your body. So if we are afraid of our own power, if we are afraid of our own light, that has everything to do with our relationship with food and the way that we're showing up to be in our bodies or not. And on that note, in, a, in one of my groups recently, you know who you are, you're probably listening to this, uh, there was a major breakthrough around this exact thing that, well, if we start talking about actually doing the thing, Right? If we actually talk about how to lose weight in the physical dimension and we actually pay attention to that, there was a ton of fear. There was a ton of resistance. And then after we sat with it and worked through it and really made the space for the fear and the resistance to come along for the ride, the conversation turned into, well, I've been struggling with my weight my entire life and I don't know what I would be. I don't know what I would do with my time, energy, effort if I didn't have this issue to deal with. I've been, and this is something I've heard many, many times is I've been in this body my whole life. I don't know who I am if I change my body size, right? And I think underneath a lot of it for many of us is that fear of, I don't know what I might become. If I actually do this, Right, So many of us, we have this fear of failure. What if it doesn't work? What if it's not sustainable? What if, what if, what if, right? There's a lot of fear around failure. But what I also want to just put on your radar is that we also have this fear of success. What if I lose weight and I don't know who I am? What if I lose weight, I look in the mirror, I don't recognize myself? What if when I lose weight, more people pay attention to me what if more people give me compliments? What if I find out that when I lose weight, people really were judging me on my size? What if I lose weight and people actually are nicer to me, right? There's all these fears that are super valid around what might happen if you actually do the thing. And it reminds me years ago when I saw this come up at John Gabriel's retreat and one of the therapists was asking people, you know, what are some of the things you might have to deal with if you actually lost weight? And there were things that were conscious, like ah, the last time I lost weight, I cheated on my husband and I don't trust myself to be in a thinner body again. And there were things that were a little bit more buried inside around um, my mother will be jealous of me and that's stopping me even though she's no longer alive. So again, what I'm saying to you is before we talk about weight loss, we have to also open up the conversation to what's going on inside around it and not just in that belief system of 
I feel unworthy, I feel unlovable, I don't deserve it, etc. But also this conversation of what if I have a lot of power and what if I can actually do it? That also really freaks me out. Okay, so the reason we have to talk about power <laughs> is because part of the reason I, Lisa Schlossberg, do not believe that all intentional weight loss equates to dieting is because that doesn't give any credit to your own conscious input. And if your conscious input, okay, so let's break it down, right? You grew up in diet culture and throughout your childhood, you were given these messages about your body, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, right? And at that point, you didn't have the power to question that or critically think about that or challenge that, or anything. That just became your truth because that's, frankly, the way your brain works. You went through the process of socialization, you were given this belief system, and you took it in and internalized it without any conscious thought. That's not your fault. You really couldn't do anything about that, right? But the reason that we have to talk about power is because you no longer are in a place of... Uh, being unconscious, let's say. this If you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> there is some awareness and awakening that's happening and you are not just moving through the world taking in every message as truth. You're not a child anymore and that's not the way your brain has to work anymore. And so for many of us or many people, that is the way their brain still works, right? They're moving through the world and just saying, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true without really critically thinking about it. But you, you're here. So you're thinking about it. <laughs> and the reason that's important is because now, now that you are conscious, now that you are awake, now that you are coming out of the cave, so to speak, you have some agency, you have some power in your lived experience. So that if you are receiving a message that really doesn't serve you or align with you, you don't have to buy it, right? And sometimes I think about like, if you listen to the most, uh, you know, like batshit politician you could think of who comes on TV and says things that make no sense that you know are nonsense. If you listen to that, right, you, your critical thinking brain hears that and is like, no, I don't agree with this. I don't align with this. This is not true for me, right? So it's not that, and this is why this matters. It's not that the diet itself or the diet industry itself is what hurt you it did but the reason we need to talk about your personal power is because what many of us did was just taken diet culture as truth and again not in a way that is our fault but now the way that we can actually create a difference between dieting and intentional weight loss is by you consciously intentionally showing up and having a very different conscious input and so what that means here is that again if you grew up in diet culture and you took that message to be true that one body makes you good one body makes you bad that your size indicates your value and worth as a human being right if you just took that in as truth well of course it's not going to feel good 
But now you actually have the power to say, this is the tape that I was given. This is the tape that is still playing in my head, but this is not mine. And this is not true. And I don't align with this and I don't want to perpetuate this anymore. You have power. You have an incredible amount of power. And again, in order for any of this to feel different, in order for you to do some of the things you used to do from a place of fear, now out of love, that's not a question about your behaviors or what you're choosing to do. That's a question about your conscious input and whether you're doing it from a place of love or fear. And you have power over that. So if we look at it through the lens of power, right? When you were a kid, maybe, or not even a kid, when you, before you came out of the cave and you were thinking differently about these things, you probably used some of your power to go on something like a diet. And through doing that, you, maybe like me as well, used your power to abuse, abandon, and neglect yourself and your needs. So some of the examples I give around this come again from my own personal experience. What I mean by that is if I was hungry, I wasn't eating. I was neglecting myself. I was really abusing myself in places like the gym, over-exercising. I was using my power to hurt myself, not intentionally and not mindfully, right? It's just I was, I was following orders. I was doing what everyone always told me to do. I was finally listening to my doctor's instructions that I received my entire life to eat less and exercise more. And so I woke up and I started using my power to do that. And so in the past, right, our power has been associated with abuse, self-abuse. And I'm, I'm really talking about myself in this instance. And the reason that I'm sharing that is because of course, then, if your experience using your own power in your relationship with food, especially through the lens of weight loss, has felt to you like abuse, abandonment, and neglect, you are very valid in your fear of not going back there, right? This came up a little bit at the retreat, and I will share more about this on this podcast, but I was sharing with people how my weight loss the way that I did it, so rapid, so extreme, all of the things, um, it really felt traumatic. It was traumatic. And I'm willing to bet that if you're listening to this, you have some experience in that area of using your power in a way that actually hurts you more than it helps you. And not in a way that is your fault. You probably have been doing what everyone was telling you to do. It's just that we got these messages from outside of us, from this culture, from this society, and then we paired it with our own personal power and it turned into a traumatic experience of self-harm. And I shared this on another episode, but I have to call it out again, that when I had a, um, a meeting with a mentor of mine and she said to me, uh, it's kind of like you know the beginning of any superhero movie where the superhero is a child, they don't know how to use their power yet, and because no one ever taught them how to use their power, you know, they they hurt people and they broke things and and their power was perceived as bad because they didn't know how to kind of hone it and use it. And then we move through this kind of culture 
that says your power is bad. Put your power away. Don't hurt anyone, right? And that's really valid. We don't want to hurt people and we don't want to break things anymore. But it's not our power that's bad. And it's not our power that we have to be afraid of. It's using our power without any connection, mindfulness, intention around it. It's using our power in a way that other people tell us to use it. It's using our power in a way that is out of alignment with ourselves and our true self and our values, right? It's not the power that is bad or that we should demonize and pathologize. We actually want our power. But it's for this reason I think so many of us are afraid to use our power, to actually change our eating habits, to actually change our movement exercise habits, etc. We're afraid of our power because it's hurt us before or because we've used it in a way that hurt us before rather. And so I think about it that way. That is so many of us, right? You all, like Marianne Williamson's poem, it's in all of us. You have power. You have light. You are good underneath it all. But we're scared of that. Because what happens if you have power? What happens if you're a leader? What happens if you actually have a lot of agency in co-creating your life? That brings up some fear. Especially if you've used your power in the past around food and eating and dieting and weight loss to hurt yourself. It doesn't have to be that way. And this is why intentional weight loss is not the same thing as a diet. And for what it's worth, I believe personally, that the anti-diet movement is kind of, the way it feels to me is that it's kind of still in that place of like, put your power away, right? It's like, just just give up on all of it. And if you want to change your body, it means you hate yourself, right? It goes back to that whole like, then you think you're unworthy, then you think you're unlovable. And it's like, no, Right. Like I said in the last episode, it's like I just want to be able to fit in an airplane and like ride a roller coaster like this has nothing to do with the story of being undeserving and unlovable. But I think we are so collectively afraid of going back to that place of pain and harm and abuse the way that we used our power before that we kind of just swung the pendulum into the anti-diet industry that says just fuck it all. And um, I don't know. That doesn't really work for me either. So ultimately what I'm saying here is in so many ways, the difference between dieting and intentional weight loss is your conscious input. It's other things as well and I'll get there, but this is so important because this is the process through which you can wake up and actually really create a different life for yourself. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. (laughs) That is, I think many of us move through or have moved through Uh, attempting something like weight loss so that we can get out of our human experience. And what I mean by that is what I, what I experienced at the beginning of my weight loss. My thought was, uh, I, I'm already a really great person. Uh, so if I lose weight, then I will be perfect. And if I lose weight, then I will be done and I will be fixed. And then after I lose weight, I will never really have to think about really anything ever again because I'll be done and I'll be perfect. And um, that's that's not the way it works. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, And the reason that I share that is because if we are moving through something like weight loss so that we can be done, um, we have to start with an understanding that that doesn't exist. You don't get out of your body. 
You don't get out of your relationship with food. There is no done in terms of you living here and actually having to be responsible for what you put into your mouth or not. That's, that's on you and that's not going anywhere. So the first thing is just to be really aware of that. That is, you may actually feel like you prefer the belief that you have no power because then you can't do anything about it. Then you don't have to be involved in the process. Then you don't have to be present here. You don't have to be embodied. You don't have to be in your body. Literally, you don't have to connect your mind to your body to actually make conscious choices about where you want to go in the future. It's a lot, quote unquote, easier to just kind of say, I don't want to deal with this and I don't want to believe that I have any power because then I don't have to be involved in it. And so we we kind of, I've experienced personally being on either side of that uh, spectrum where on one hand, it's like, I don't want to believe that I have any power. And I that was kind of how I grew up and my body was completely disconnected, completely dissociated. I had no idea what I was eating, when I was eating, how much I was eating. I was just completely not present um, because... And this, again, we could fall down the rabbit hole of it. But the reason that this is true for so many of us is because if we've experienced trauma, we're living in our head and our thoughts and our brain. We're not connected to what's going on in our body, in our felt sense, in our emotional world. For, again, very valid reason, we live in the brain. And so it can feel, again, easier and safer to just move toward that belief system of like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And just being in this kind of what I've experienced, this kind of dissociative relationship with my body, almost like it's not mine. That's how I felt growing up. And I shared that on the podcast with Ilona was I remember kind of looking in the mirror and having this relationship with my body as if it were someone else's. Like I just had no connection to it at all. And and I preferred it that way because then I could not think about it and not be here. And then the other side of the spectrum is that we fall into the trap of believing that we have so much power and so much control that we will just go on a diet, lose some weight, and then we'll be done. And then we won't have to ever think about it ever again. And then we won't have to be present at all. And that's also not true. And so it's just kind of noticing (laughs) that we gravitate towards either side, but we're not, I don't think, very often really telling the truth because the truth is hard. And the truth is that you have power, but you don't have total control. So it's kind of in the middle of that spectrum. It's the middle of the pendulum, ultimately, where you have some power, right? This is why I don't really completely align with the 12-step ideology of step one is I am powerless. I don't buy that. I don't think you're actually powerless. I think you have some power. And you also don't have all of it. But that's a tricky place to live, especially if you're someone like me, where you want total control over everything all of the time. <laughs> it can feel really hard to kind of step into the arena in Brene Brown's world of uh, words, of your own world, to step into the arena of I have some power. And some of the time I might feel like I'm getting my ass kicked by life, right? But at least you're in the arena. And that's an important idea if you want <laughs> something like intentional weight loss you got to be here for it right it's the same as anything else no one can do it for you no one's coming to save you no one can do this but you and so it 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 necessarily requires that you tap into that truth in yourself and it reminds me i will be the first person to tell you that there were a lot of things about my weight loss that were not quote unquote, good and not healthy and did not serve me like going too fast and being too rapid and too extreme and too restrictive and all of those things. And at the same time, there are a lot of things that um, 
were really important about what I quote unquote did correctly or did right. And so I don't want to throw it all out as it was trauma and that's all it was because it was also a lot more than that. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think it's important to understand that from my perspective, like I just said, right? Imagine this. (laughs) For the first 18 years of my life, I had no connection to my body. I paid no attention to it. I pretended it wasn't there. It was like it was someone else's. And then when I first decided that I wanted to lose weight, which if you've heard the last couple episodes, you know, was really coming from a place of not being able to fit into the world around me. It's not because I thought I was unlovable or unworthy. Uh, I had really, you know, high self-esteem and I, I really liked myself as a person. Um, and I felt, I just felt like I was, I was really struggling in the physical dimension because I was 300 pounds and I was 17 years old and it was getting hard to fit into things. And so when I wanted to lose weight, I had to actually, for the first time ever, ever, ever in my life, I had to actually intentionally connect my mind to my body. And it was through my experience of intentional weight loss that happened to be a diet, but it was through the experience of intentional weight loss that I had to actually wake up, period. I had to literally wake up to the fact that my body was my own that if I wanted to lose weight, no one could do it for me. And that I had something to do with it. And that if I spent the first 18 years of my life being completely disconnected, having no connection at all to what I was eating, well, that's how I gained a lot of weight. And if I wanted to lose weight, I had to actually be here. I had to be mindful and conscious of what I was putting into my body and how I was moving my body, if at all. I had to actually do something about it, not because it made me a good person or would result in me being a better human that is more lovable or more worthy or more valuable, not because of any of that, but because if I wanted something done, I had to do it myself. And if I wanted to change my eating habits and I wanted to change my body, which I did, then I had to actually do that. And again, if we take all the judgment out of it, it was not about being good or being right or perf- or perfection. It was about the process of waking up, even though I was still under the illusion that it would result in perfection. I hope that makes sense. And this brings me to my next point about intentional weight loss, because in terms of the quote unquote, how to do it, I think it's also important. Again, we have to be really clear about the uh, thoughts and beliefs that are not going to work and are going to necessarily keep you stuck. Because once you work through the inner stuff, the outer stuff is a lot easier. So what I have written down here is it can't be option three. So if we go back to this fundamental belief or understanding uh, framework that we get from Nicole Sachs's work, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. But option three, where nothing hurts at all, <laughs> doesn't exist. And so the way that I engaged or embarked on my weight loss journey originally was I perceived it and I framed it as option three, right? I'll just do this work and then I'll be done. I will be fixed. I will not have to pay any attention anymore. And that is what we call option three, okay? So if you're in that place of believing that weight loss 
will solve all of your problems <laughs> and that it will make your life one big shiny object, that you will be riding that high forever, that you will be happy when dot, 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 right? If you're in that kind of relationship with it where all I have to do is lose a few pounds and then, and then I can relax and then I can feel good about myself, then I, then I will feel safe. If that's your relationship with weight loss, I can guarantee you that's not going to work. It's not going to work sustainably and it's not going to feel good because it's not aligned with the truth. That is, you're going to live in your body and you're going to be responsible for feeding it every day until you die. So we have to be mindful of, of that. Because also think about it. If your intention or your goal with something like weight loss is to be done, what that results in on a deeper level in the relationship with yourself is more abandonment. It's kind of like being in a relationship with yourself where you're just kind of like, I'll deal with you for a little bit, but then can we just be done? And it's like, no, you don't get, you don't get to do that because it's still rooted in disconnection. And that's why it can't work. And it's also, you can probably tell the way that this is kind of the way a diet works, right? Is it's not, you're not coming back to yourself. You're not coming home to yourself. You're not using the process of dieting to embody your body. You're doing it to get out of your body and to be done with yourself. And that's not, this is just never going to be sustainable that way. But if you actually are using the process of intentional weight loss, to say, I actually want to come back inside. I want to get to know you more. I want to be present with you. I want to be here with you, right? And I'm going to use the relationship that we have with food as a way to really get to know myself and get curious about my experience and actually be here. <laughs> it's, it's a completely different game. Comes off. We have to be safe now first. And on that note, similar to what we were talking about in the last episode, if you want to change your body, that in my opinion is not necessarily inherently a problem. But if you want to change your body because you think or feel that it will change you, you the human, you the individual, you how worthy, lovable you are and deserving of connection and belonging you are, that is the problem. Right. So again, it's not about wanting to change your body. It's not about moving through weight loss consciously and decidingly or deciding to do so. It's about the meaning that we make of it and whether that story, whether that meaning is the meaning that other people gave us growing up or it's our own, it's our own truth. That is, this doesn't mean anything about me. It's not going to make me better or worse, but I do want to do this for myself. And when you know, right, when you come back to your inner knowing that you are equally loved, lovable, worthy, valuable, safe, safe to be exactly as you are right now, then it actually allows us the freedom, the peace, the safety, and the power to do something so that we can change in the future. And this brings me to the theory that is the paradoxical theory of change because it's everything. The paradoxical theory of change is the following. Briefly stated, it is this. Change occurs when one becomes what he is, not when he tries to become what he is not. 
Change does not take place through a coercive attempt by the individual or by another person to change him, but it does take place if one takes the time and effort to be what he is, to be fully invested in his current positions. By rejecting the role of change agent, we make meaningful and orderly change possible. That's a quote from Arnold Belser, MD. And this goes back to everything that Allie was sharing in our last podcast episode about actually practicing being safe and feeling safe in our body exactly as it is right now in this moment so that from that place of embodiment, safety, and acceptance, we can actually start to make change. But this is very often where people get stuck. And this goes back to what I was saying before. That is, many of us, when I suggest, you know, be in your body exactly as it is right now, right? Well, what's the response to that? I don't want to (laughs) be. I don't want to be in my body as it is right now, Lisa. That's why I wanted to change. And I hear you and I understand that. And if that's your relationship with it, it cannot change because it doesn't feel safe because your brain is operating under the impression that you are not safe right now because you have not actually taken the time and space to practice being safe right now. (laughs) And so It goes back to what we were talking about with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. First, you need to feel safe. And so the way that we do that here to free ourselves up to actually make change, it's the paradoxical theory of change. First, you have to be exactly where you are. And when you're in that place of safety, now we can talk about, well, what needs to actually be different? What needs to change? How do I want to show up in my relationship with food and make different choices and different decisions from this place of, I know that I don't have to. I know that I don't have to. I know that I'm totally safe to exist exactly as I am. I don't need to change. I want to change. I don't have to change. I would like to change. And I'm not unsafe to exist in my body exactly as it is. I might be uncomfortable to exist in my body as it is. And just, again, it's about striking that balance of telling the truth. That is, you're allowed to want to do something different, but you also have to be exactly where you are. And so if we go back to the beginning of this episode, right, a lot of this is actually just challenging the belief system that many of us have that it's, it's binary, polarized, and black and white. You can either be embodied where you are or moving to change. Well, I don't buy that. <laughs> I think that's really binary and really polarized because a lot of how I live my life is I know that I am here right now exactly where I am. I'm totally safe. It may not be comfortable, I may not like it, but I can accept that this is where I am, this is where I'm starting. And from this place of grounded acceptance, how do I wanna mindfully, intentionally show up and choose to do something different? And so again, it's just an invitation to join me in this belief system. That is, you actually don't have to be completely binary and polarized in the way that you think about yourself and your body and your relationship with food. You get to be exactly where you are, knowing that it's totally safe, And then from that place with two feet on the ground, you connected to your truth and you're knowing that you are so lovable and unconditionally worthy right now. How do you maybe want to do something different, right? And it's a completely different energy and different experience than something like a diet. And I want to say one more thing about this that is in regards to it can't be your option three. One way to kind of feel yourself out in terms of, we already know, right? You can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. So if you're trying to do that thing that's like, I'll be happy when I lose weight. Well, you can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. You're not going to necessarily feel happier in your everyday life if you lose weight. 
Um, and one way to kind of, again, check yourself and like feel yourself out. Am I trying to solve an emotional problem with a physical solution is I think it's important to consider what it would be like if you didn't get the thing. So if you feel like really, really attached to the outcome, that is, I will be happy when I lose weight, I will be safe when I lose weight, all my problems will be solved when I lose weight. And then you think about like, maybe you're not super mindful or aware that that's your relationship with it. And so one way to kind of check around that is, well, what would happen if you didn't get it? Right? And then from that place, if that's the relationship with it or the perception of it, well, what might happen if you don't get it? Well, then you'll never be happy and everything's a problem and never your problems will never be solved, right? It's like the stakes are so high. And one of the ways to see that is by saying, well, what if I don't achieve it? What if it doesn't work out? And just kind of peeking under the hood around that. And I think I, I think about this anecdote that um, I, th- I, th- I just think this happened years ago. Uh, and I think about it all the time because it was so profound to me that uh, when I was, I met up with like one of my professors or something or like a guest speaker at one of my classes or something like that at Michigan. And uh, we went to the coffee shop and this was back when I was interested in being a journalist and I wanted to sit down with this guy. And so I, we get to the coffee shop and I asked if I could buy him a coffee and he was like, no, I'm actually taking the week off from caffeine. And I was like, all right. He said, every year I do this just to make sure I still can. He said, I take a little bit of time off of caffeine. I take a little bit of time off of alcohol. I just look at, you know, some of the substances in my life and I just, I test myself every year. Can I still take some time away from this thing? And it was so profound to me, even at that point when I had, you know, no consciousness of like any of what I'm talking to you about right now, because I just remember noticing that and being like, wow, what honesty, (laughs) like what power, what strength to actually be in this relationship with these things in your life where you say, I just want to make sure, right? I'm not too dependent. I'm not too reliant. I'm not too addicted to this thing. And that's kind of what I think about sometimes when I think about our relationship with food and our relationship with weight loss is can you be in a place where, you know, what happens if you don't get it? And it's just kind of, nah, okay. Like, I don't need it to survive. I don't need it to solve all my problems. It's not where I'm getting my perception of myself and my lovable, you know, it, it's not It's not how I define myself. It's not how I perceive myself. And again, going back to what Nicole Sachs says all the time, that is just be whatever about it. And if you can remain in a place of consciousness and connection to yourself and the choices you're making around food and simultaneously, quote unquote, be whatever about it, that is, I don't need this. It's not my safety. It's not my survival. It would it would maybe help me feel a little bit more comfortable in my time here, but I don't need it, right? If you can be in that place, you are freeing up your energy ultimately to actually do something so that you can show up differently. And when I was thinking about just recording this episode, I was thinking about how I mean, having this conversation has really, um, I've been hanging out with my 17 and 18 and 19 year old self a lot these days, uh, because she's got a lot to say about all this. (laughs) And um, I just, I remember thinking about when I was moving through my weight loss, 
And I was so addicted to the process. I was so addicted to the process. And so I would wake up. I kid you not. I woke up in the morning, sophomore year of college. And I, it was like, I was, I was, I was so high on a drug all of the time. I would wake up. My eyes would be like bright and shiny to be awake. I would throw the covers off of myself in bed. And as soon as I got to like put my feet on the ground, I was in a smaller body. And then I would look in the mirror and I was in a smaller body. And then I would get on the scale and I was in a smaller body. And everything was just dopamine, 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 dopamine. Like I was literally riding a high every second of the day. It was nuts. And I didn't really, like again, I wasn't super conscious of that. But I say that because if you're in this relationship with your weight loss, where it feels like you are high as a kite on your own supply because you're getting all of your happy chemicals from the way that you're seeing yourself in a smaller body or the way that people are treating you in a smaller body. Um, That's just something to be really mindful of. Again, it's not your fault, but it um, it will not feel safe, right? That's part of the trauma of it is that we get so wrapped up and so caught up in the dopamine, 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 dopamine that we're not paying attention to, am I hungry? Am I tired? Like, how does my body feel? What does my body need? How do I get my needs met? And that goes back to, again, what we talked about on the last episode about the pie chart is if you are only seeing and perceiving and treating yourself with your own conscious input as a physical object, and you're judging yourself on that body weight, shape, and size, my God, you're going to feel so empty inside, right? And you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, you've, you can experiment on yourself. But that's, that was super my experience. That was, yeah, you know, it, it feels good. It feels like a drug. And it also leaves the void. It leaves the void, period. And, and really uh, any kind of external validation, approval, cannot fill that void. So that's the that's the thing to be really mindful and aware of. And again, it requires that you stay awake. It requires that you stay connected to yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, physically. And it requires that you tell the truth. It requires that you tell the uncomfortable truth to yourself that maybe this does feel like a drug to you. And maybe this is where you're getting your worth or your perception of your worth from. Maybe this is the way that you've come to see yourself. But it's also an invitation from that point to remember that that's the tape you were given. It's not your truth. And how do we balance out the pie chart a little bit so you can get your happy chemicals because you need them and that you can get your sense of worthiness. You can get your sense of power and control. You can get those needs met, but not from abandoning and abusing and neglecting yourself in the process. Now that you've been here for almost an hour... (laughs) Um, I want to talk a little bit about just this question of, okay, well, how do we do it? And again, I think it's very telling that in both of these episodes, you sit through a lot of listening to me talk about safety, love, acceptance, power, worthiness (laughs) before we talk about doing anything in the physical dimension because it necessarily needs to be that way. Um, But when it comes to how do we do it, part of the reason... Um, I can't answer that question the way that you want me to in a very black and white, cut and dry, this is the 
this is the formula, this is the program, is because something you already know to be true, that is, this is not a one-size-fits-all situation. <laughs> the bio-individuality concept is very important. That is, everyone has their own relationship with food, eating, their body, their weight, um, their own thoughts, beliefs, feelings, their own relationships, their own stressors, their own life. Like, we all have our own experience here as human beings and part of that experience holistically is food and eating in our bodies so there can't be a one-size-fits-all program or formula uh, in terms of how do we do it but what I can tell you is that we have to a just start there that is right you are your own person and what it's going to look like for you is not necessarily the same as what it's going to look like for other people Um, but from this place I always get really curious about not just, right, how do you get out of this situation where you're struggling with your weight, but I get curious about how did you get here? Because again, everyone is going to be different in that sense. And if we all got here in different ways and we all have gained weight for different reasons and because of different things, well, then we also have to lose weight in different ways and in different methods and Uh, ultimately just really meeting everyone individually where they are and starting from that place. So that's the first thing. Now, in my personal and professional experience, I could say that I could boil it down to three main categories of how we got here and how we got to a place where maybe we are struggling with our weight, quote-unquote overweight according to the medical model, quote-unquote obese according to the BMI chart. Uh, If you're new here, (laughs) welcome. We are not buying into the medical model and the BMI chart as a framework that is uh, rooted in truth. And at the same time, there are medical terms. And if you are overweight or obese, um, that's not, again, because it's, it's wrong and bad, but because that's just the medical term for what we are referring to. So without falling down that rabbit hole, I think it's important to say that if you are, again, in a bigger body and wanting to lose weight, I think there are three main ways that we quote unquote got here. One is dieting, okay? So for many of us, if we've been on a diet, we did the restriction thing, we the extreme control thing. And for many of us, what that means is that your brain thought you were in a famine for a period of time because that's what happens when we go around the world and our conscious input is that I can't eat that, I shouldn't eat that, I'm not supposed to eat that, right? If we're, if we're moving through the world in our relationship with food in terms of scarcity and lack, uh, the brain will perceive that as unsafe and, and a famine. And so what happens is when we go off the diet, this is why many of us uh, experience uncontrollable eating or binging and then we gain a lot of that weight back. So a lot of uh, arriving at a place where maybe you're overweight um, may just be the direct result of going on a diet. Uh, or it's the direct result of decades of dieting or yo-yo dieting, going up and down and up and down and up and down. And the reason that most of us, if we lose weight on a diet, gain it back plus some, this is just a refresher, is that it's our brain trying to do that thing where it keeps us safe and protected without our approval (laughs) um, or consent. And the way that our brain does that is it says you were just in this famine. So let me gain not just all of the weight that you lost, right? I'm not just going to restore your body, but I'm going to help keep you safe from future famines. So I'm going to actually gain some extra weight. And so some of the reasons some of us are struggling 
in this area is category one is dieting. The more you diet, the more weight you gain. You've probably experienced that. The other reason that I notice, uh, and again, this comes from my own experience as well, is that uh, just a general kind of mindlessness. And I say the word mindlessness really neutrally. Like there's no judgment around that at all. But when I look at the, my example of growing up in my body and my relationship with food, it was completely mindless. So if someone were to ask me, well, how did you get to around 300 pounds as a teenager? Well, I I was paying no attention. I was mindlessly eating everything I was eating all of the time. So there was this element of mind mindlessness. And I find that again, because Because being present in our body, in our truth, in our power can be intimidating and scary, some of us, I think, live in this relationship with food and eating in our bodies in a state of mindlessness because it feels safer that way. So there's no judgment around it. It's not a bad thing. But if we're looking at how did we get here, well, I would just be curious about what's your relationship like with your food and eating? Like, are you mindful? Are you paying attention? Or are you just kind of like gliding through eating whatever comes up, uh, you know, like calling it in when it comes to food? Or are you actually connected to that process? So that's one thing to pay attention to. Because again, if you are mindless in your relationship with food, well, that probably has something to do with your weight. And that's not, again, good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just you have to be connected to the process. And it kind of reminds me of something I've heard many times where people say things like, you know, I I was eating a bag of chips in front of the TV and then all of a sudden the whole bag was gone, right? It's like, that's not bad. That doesn't make you a bad person. And at the same time, if there's that element of mindlessness of like all of a sudden the food was gone and I was the one eating it, well, it probably explains where some of the weight gain is coming from, right? It's just cause and effect. It's it's objective cause and effect. So that's mindlessness. And then lastly, not unrelated to the first two is what I would call emotions and energy and uh, nervous system. That is, we can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. And many of us, myself included, have relied on food and eating and dieting and weight loss as ways to feel safe, as ways to feel happy, as ways to get our emotional needs met. And so like myself, if you're using food like a drug, Well, it makes a lot of sense that you would be gaining weight from doing that. The same way that if you're using alcohol, you'll probably be gaining weight from that too, as well as other issues that arrive. So it's just knowing where and how you have arrived at the place you've arrived at in your relationship with food, in your current body, at your current weight. Is some of it from dieting and yo-yo dieting? Is some of it from a general mindlessness? I just don't want to pay attention. I don't want to have to be involved in this, right? I want someone else to do it for me and take care of it for me. Valid, same. Um, and or is it that food is really an emotional coping mechanism for you and that we need to look at other coping skills and other ways to get your needs met in the emotional, social, and spiritual realm? So this is why <laughs> if you're asking me like, well, how do you do it? Like, how do you lose weight? 
well, you're all going to be coming from a different place and you're all going to have a different relationship with all of these. Um, And so that is the kind of invitation is first we have to start there. Before you know how to get out, you have to know how you got here. And very much like Gabor Mate is always telling us, and I think this is the future of all healthcare, is we can't ask what's wrong with you. We have to ask what happened to you. And the same is true from this place in this question of intentional weight loss is it's not about what's wrong with you. It's not about what to do. It's not just about what to do. It's about first, we have to look at what are the factors that contributed to you showing up exactly as you are right now in the body, weight, shape, and size that you're in. And if we can do that with no judgment, with no narrative, with no story about good and bad and right and wrong and lovable and worthy and undeserving and all of that, if we could just leave all of that stuff out of it and just look really objectively, what is your relationship with food like? What has it been like? And what are the factors that brought you to the weight that you're at right now? We have to start there and that will be different for everyone, which is why the quote unquote solution is going to be different for everyone. So I'm briefly going to walk through some of the things to consider if you're trying to stabilize around uh, food and eating so that you can lose weight intentionally. And then, like I said, the next episode is going to be a continuation of this conversation and I will answer some of your questions. So submit them if you have them. When it comes to dieting, if you've gained a lot of weight from the process of dieting, The first thing that is absolutely necessary is that you, you surrender, you surrender. Uh, If you continue to go on a diet and you continue to fight your body from an energy of fear, lack, scarcity, the belief that you are not good enough as you are, that you are not worthy as you are, if that is the story and the narrative that has kept you in a fight against your body, until now, the first thing you must do is lay the weapons down. Um, the first thing you want to do is stabilize. And what I mean by that is you eat when you're hungry and you practice not eating when you're not hungry. You practice getting your needs met. You really pay attention to when you are tired, you rest. When you are thirsty, you drink. When you have to pee, you go pee. Like th- like it's you got to get your needs met on, on all levels and without focusing on intentional weight loss, the first thing you have to do is stabilize so that your body feels safe. Back to the original concept that is you can't do shit if you don't feel safe. And if you have been dieting and dieting and dieting, yo-yo dieting for years, decades, a lifetime, your mind-body system first has to come back into a place of safety. So it's not about releasing the goal of weight loss forever for good it will never happen it's about really understanding that you cannot lose weight sustainably if you don't first feel safe so the first thing for you to do is feel safe and don't think about weight loss don't think about controlling your food don't think about counting your calories don't 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 do any of that eat when you're hungry stop when you're full make sure that you are eating enough that is that's what we do there to stabilize And when it comes to, I'm going to skip to number three, when it comes to emotion, emotional eating, well, I think you've probably heard me say enough about it. We can't solve solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. And that's pretty much what every single podcast episode is about in a different way. Um, But it's really, again, it's like if food, and I'll use myself from the, from again, the recent example of relapse and recovery, in order for me to 
intentionally lose weight after gaining it, the first thing that I had to do was because I wasn't dieting, so I didn't have to deal with that. But the first thing that I had to do after using food like a drug to cope with my emotions was I had to stabilize emotionally. And so I had to make sure that I was using the healthy coping skills that I had, really leaning on my support system, doing things that would bring my mood up and bring my stress down in ways that had nothing to do with food. So what I'm saying is, if you know that your weight gain is coming from a place of coping with food, well, you can't just start by taking the food out of it. You can't just start by, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna eat less now, I'm gonna restrict myself around certain things. You can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. So the first thing is you have to stabilize emotionally. You want to get to a place where, again, food is just food. It's not your drug. It's not your coping. It's not your stress relief. And you're able to survive emotionally without it. And so that's exactly what I did somewhat recently was I was getting my place back. I was getting myself back to a place of what I call emotional sobriety was I wasn't depending on the food emotionally and once I could stabilize in that place then I could think about well what do I want to do for intentional weight loss but again you can't you can't step you can't skip step one and that is step one if food and eating is your drug and you're coping first we have to operate without it and then we can talk about what to do and then lastly there is the mindlessness um and what for some of us, it's not just mindlessness, but it's really a deeper kind of denial and dissociation. And that's why I think it's not unrelated to emotional eating. I think it's largely, it can be exactly the same. Um, but for this, this is where it becomes, well, what happens if you were to give up mindlessness around food and eating? And really just staying present with any of the thoughts and any of the feelings that brings up. That is, if you were to actually pay attention to what you were eating, not eating. If you were actually to pay attention to the way that certain foods affect your body, the way that certain foods affect your weight. If you were to just pay attention and be mindful and not from a place of judgment, not from a place of pride and shame, not from any of that, from a place of objectivity, if you were to just pay attention to what happened in your body, what would happen? And what comes up for you when you think about actually being mindful? And it might be, right, the fear that is all of those voices of the diet culture that raised you. That is, it would, it would trigger some perfectionism, right? I'm afraid I'm not going to do it right. I'm afraid of all the shame that comes up around eating certain foods. And this is, again, an invitation to remind yourself that the, this is the tape. This is the old tape. It's not yours. And you get to really choose how you want to talk to yourself, how you want to make decisions, the energy with which you decide to make decisions. You get to be in charge of that. You have power. And so if we're moving out of mindlessness into mindfulness, what that requires is your power and your conscious input. And that is what really I want to leave you with is an invitation to say, where am I in my relationship with food? How did I get here? How did this weight become this weight? 
without any judgment, without any meaning, without any significance or narrative or story around it, just really objectively doing an honest inventory. That is one of the things I love about um, the 12-step program is an honest inventory. It's not about judgment. It's not about making yourself feel bad. It's about, okay, what are some of the things that led me here so that I can inform the way out? And ultimately the way out is the way back inside. (laughs) And the last thing that I'm just going to share on this is that something that keeps coming up for me in this conversation is that withdrawal is not the same as restriction. And so this goes back to, well, really all of it, whether it's mindlessness, whether it's emotional eating, whatever it is that's kind of even dieting, if if that's where you've been at, if that's been your status quo of using food like a drug, let's say, and then you start to, in, you set the intention to stabilize emotionally so that you're not using food like a drug, what you will probably experience and what I have certainly experienced is withdrawal. And that can be emotionally uncomfortable, but withdrawal is not the same as restriction, which is why not all intentional weight loss is a diet. Because if you're in a place of saying food is my drug and I want to stop relying on it that way, you will experience withdrawal. But that's not the same as you going on a diet and restricting yourself from eating certain things, right? The substance is the same. It's food. So it can be kind of hard to think about it that way. But if you're using food like a drug and then you stop doing that and you feel withdrawal symptoms, right? That's not the same as you going on a diet and restricting yourself from eating certain things. So I just kind of want to shout that out because you can go, here's this, right? You can go through withdrawal from the emotional perspective of I want to keep using food. I want to keep using food to numb, right? And you can also go through withdrawal around mindlessness. That is, God, it's so much more comfortable when I don't have to think about this, right? You can, you can have withdrawal from that. You can also have withdrawal from dieting and yo-yo dieting. That is, but I feel like this is the only way to have any kind of power and the only control that I have. And I don't want to give that up. So I just want to share that if you're thinking about intentional weight loss and you're moving through, um, you know, giving up yo-yo dieting, you're giving up a mindlessness, you're giving up emotional eating, you're giving up these things so you can really stabilize and actually embody power and agency, Um, withdrawal may necessarily be part of the process. Because something I said at the retreat was, you know, in order for you to show up as the person that you want to be in your life, you will necessarily experience withdrawal from the person that you are right now. And that is exactly the point of what hurts and what hurts worse. You're either going to do the thing that you're, that you're doing now, yo-yo dieting, mindlessness, emotional eating, right? But that's causing you some pain and discomfort. Or you're going to do something different, which is stabilize mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, so that you can actually show up and change the way that you are behaving around food. And that hurts too. But this third option of seeking a way out where nothing hurts and nothing's uncomfortable ever at all. Um, that doesn't exist. And so, right, something you've heard me say before probably is just because withdrawal is hard is not a good reason to keep doing drugs. And that's what I want to share with you in terms of creating the stability, which is ultimately creating the safety for you to show up and change your behaviors. And that has to be step zero (laughs) 
before we can talk about actual intentional weight loss in terms of the physical dimension. These things need to be embodied and integrated first. You have to know that you have power. You have to know that you are equally lovable, worthy, safe, and embodied in your body as it is right now. That happiness and safety and belonging and connection and love do not exist out there after anything. They exist right here, right now, because that is your birthright. And that is the truth. So as usual, I feel like I could go on and on and on for literally ever. But I want to respect our time. So this is Intentional Weight Loss Part 2. Um, next week, like I said, I'll answer some of your questions, continue the conversation. So submit them. Let me know what's on your mind. Anything you want clarified, unpacked. How is this landing? What are you thinking? How's it going for you over there? I'm always really curious to know. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for being here very much. I really, really appreciate this community. And I also just want to shout out that in a few days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, actually, I think the day that this comes out will be the one year birthday of this podcast, which is really, truly incredible. This has been like a dream come true of mine. So I really do from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this community. And thank you for coming out of the cave. I love you so much. I hope you have the best week ever. Bye, guys.